How many of you guys take a little extra time cleaning up and straightening up when you know someone is coming over? Anybody? All right. We all do that. Um, But now think about what you would do if it's somebody that's important that's coming over, right? Let's be honest. You have your friends, and then there's those important people. Um, Like a really wealthy businesswoman in town that you know, that you have started becoming friends with, and she's going to come over. So what do you do? Clean up a little bit more, make it a little bit nicer. What if the premier is coming over? Depends on your politics. You either lock the door or you clean up extra. Um, The prime minister. What if the queen was coming to your house? What would you do? (laughs) Or what about this one? Your in-laws. What about them? Well, I think we would all answer yes, that we would take a little extra time cleaning up. But what if I told you that Jesus was coming over? What would you do then? Would you focus on cleaning your house? Or maybe would you focus on taking a little extra time looking at what your life looks like? On how clean is your spiritual life? How clean is your relationship with him? How clean is that? How in order is that relationship? And so in today's passage, um, it's one of those passages where if you, if you can take your mind and you can put yourself back in the point and the time where he's saying it, it would have to be very, very confusing. Okay? Because he's talking here to his disciples um, about his second coming and the time when he's going to come back. And when he's saying this, he's still been, he's right there with them, right? And they're, think, they're probably thinking like, you know, what are you going to the next town and coming back? Or where are you going? Like, we're, we're with you, like everywhere you go, we go, unless you're on the hill praying, which you do that a lot, which that's cool. Um, but, you know, like, we're, we're, what are you talking about, Jesus? And, uh, and here, because they have not experienced yet the fact that he died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And from there, he has promised us that he's going to come again for those of us who belong to him, that we get to go and be with him. And on this side of the cross, on this side of the crucifixion, on this side of the empty grave, what he's saying today makes total sense. We're like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We, we really need to focus on that. Um, but put your mind in their shoes where they haven't experienced any of that. He hasn't ascended into heaven yet. And they have to just be sitting here thinking, what? What? And maybe sometimes you come to the Bible or you come to church and you're sitting here thinking, what? I don't understand what you're talking about. You're not alone. The disciples were that way a lot of the time. Um, so let's look at what it is that Jesus says here. We're going to kind of work through this, this first section, um, a verse at a time. I'm in Luke chapter 12, and I'm starting in verse 35. And Jesus gave him this instructions. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. He's telling them, be ready. But Jesus is saying about our relationship with him is we need to be ready. Be ready for action. Be ready to go. 
Now, if your takeaway from this passage is to always have your clothes on and your boots, boots laced up um, and to have a flashlight handy at all times, uh, then you're kind of missing the point. Uh, he's kind of speaking metaphorically here. He's talking about our spiritual lives. He's talking about being ready spiritually, being dressed spiritually, ready to go. Um, the, the Greek here actually uses the language of gird up your loins. That is not something that we say today. So our translators have translated as have your clothes on, all right? Like be dressed, be ready. Um, but what it meant to gird up your loins was, you know, they wore the, the dresses, the skirts or whatever. Um, I haven't, but anyone who has tried to run in a, a dress probably could tell us that that's not uh, very easy. Um, and so what they would do when they were going to run, when they were going to go to action, when they were getting some major work done, is they had a method of folding that up, kind of like some kind of diaper thing, and like tucking it in their belt. Um, some way that they had, that they would wrap themselves um, so that their legs would be free to run. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, hey, don't just have your clothes on, but be ready for action. Be ready to go. Be ready um, for what I'm doing in the world and what I'm doing um, through you. And so he goes on in verse 36. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So not only are we to be ready, but we are to be ready and to wait expectantly. He's like, hey, when... When the master's gone and they're at the wedding feast, and the wedding feast at this time, like now when we go to a wedding, we're like, okay, it starts at this time. We know typically they run this amount of time and then they're done and then we go home and that's when we'll be home. Well, wedding feast in this day, basically they started and they went till they ran out of stuff, um, right? So when they ran out of food, wine, whatever, that's Jesus' whole miracle with turning the water into wine was at a wedding feast. The, the whole feast got to go longer because Jesus made the wine for them. Um, and so, uh, so the, the, the servants at home wouldn't know when the master's coming. It would be a surprise. It's like, well, is he coming today, coming tomorrow? And what he's saying is, hey, be ready. Wait expectantly. Live your life expecting um, that the master could come at any point. I remember one time hearing uh, Pastor Francis Chan uh, tell a story um, about he went to a movie with, I think it was his grandmother um, or somebody. It was a grandmotherly figure um, in the story that he went to this movie with her and halfway through the movie, she just got up and left. And he's like, it wasn't like an offensive movie. Like it wasn't crude or anything like that. Like there wasn't like, you know, offensive reasons to get up and leave. And so later I asked her, I said, hey, why did you leave? And she said, you know, I was just sitting there and I was thinking, you know, this isn't what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back. So I left. And we kind of think about that and we kind of chuckle, but I think she's really on to something. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. I think he's saying that, hey, are you living your life in such a way that you're ready if I came back right now? If I came back in this moment, is this what you want to be doing when I come back? I think that really, when you start to think that way, it really changes your life. It really changes the way you live. It changes the way that you're shaped, the way that you're formed, the things that drive you, the things that motivate you. Um, my grandfather, my grandfather's father, so my great-grandfather, um, was also a pastor. And uh, he um, said at one point to my grandfather and their family that he really thought that Jesus was going to come back 
um, sometime in the lifespan of one of his kids. And my grandfather was one of the youngest, and so he assumed that was him. And so his whole life, he has expected for Jesus to come back in his lifetime. Um, He is now in his mid-90s, and so if it's going to happen, it's going to happen soon. Um, But as a young kid, I can remember he he retired uh, when I was a kid, and his retirement uh, was that he raised animals and then sold them at flea markets. Okay, uh, now this is a southern thing. I don't know of many flea markets around here. The way I would describe it to you is it's like the farmer's market here, um, plus a lot of animals and animal excrement, um, and then a whole lot of junk that people are trying to sell. Okay, so put together really bad yard sales all in one place uh, with a farmer's market and a bunch of animals, and that's the flea market. Okay, um, and so I would go with him to these flea markets. Um, as a kid, and that was really exciting to get to go with granddad to the flea market. And I'll never forget, as a kid growing up, um, you know, this was over the whole weekend, so he wouldn't go to his church on that Sunday because he was at the flea market. Um, So what he did was all the the flea markets he went to, he helped start churches at the flea markets. Um, They would have a worship service there at the flea market that he helped start. Um, And and so as a young kid, I can remember... um, walking with him through, through this big area with all these vendors who were out setting up their stuff to sell for the day. And he would go by each of them and say, hey, we're having a worship service over here. You should come. And that was his Sunday morning at the flea market. And looking back on that, I really think, you know, that's really living expecting that Jesus could come back at any minute. Most people would say, you know, I have this work thing this weekend. You know, that spirituality thing can wait for the other weekends when I'm at home. But he said, no, I'm going to help start a worship service here. I'm going to help make sure that we have somebody preaching the gospel here. And all these people that I interact with all weekend, as I walk past them, I'm going to invite them to come and hear about Jesus. And as a young kid, that really made an impression on me to see the way that he was living out his faith and the way he was living out his relationship with God out of this expectancy that Jesus is going to come back in his lifetime. I don't think that if Jesus came back on, the, on a Sunday morning, he wanted to be sitting there under the awning of his little camper with all of his little birds pooping and, uh, and not worshiping his Lord. I think he wanted that if that was when Jesus came back, he wanted to be worshiping God. And so so that's always been a challenge for me and painted a picture for me of what it looks like to live expecting that, yes, Jesus can come back in my lifetime. He could come back at any minute. As you read Scripture, that's the way that it's talked about. It's talked about as it's imminent can happen. That's, what, that's the way we refer to it in theological terms. It's, it's imminent return. It could happen now. We're not promised any amount of time before it happens, before Jesus returns. And so he's telling his disciples here, hey, you need to be like these servants who are waiting on their master to come home. And they don't know when it's going to happen, but they're ready. They're ready to do, do what they're supposed to be doing. They, they're all set. They don't have to say, oh, wait, he's coming. Hold on a second. Let me go take care of this. Can you imagine? Jesus appears in the sky and he's like, hold on a second, Jesus. I'm not ready yet. I've got to go do this. It's not going to work that way. 
So we need to be ready. He goes on in verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. You see, we think a lot of times about Jesus coming the first time. We're like, well, yeah, he served us the first time, right? He served his disciples. Um, You know, he did a great service to those of us who are Christians by dying on the cross, laying out his life for us. Like, what better service could he do? And he's saying, hey, when I come again, I'm going to serve you. And blessed are my servants in that place. Those who are ready. Those whose lives have been formed and shaped by my gospel. Those who have been um, preparing themselves for this day. He says that they're going to be blessed. In fact, he says he's going to come to serve in that situation. And so be ready and wait expectantly because Jesus is coming to bless and to serve. If you know the grace of God, experience through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you already know what these blessings are like. You know his goodness. You know his faithfulness. And if we get to experience that without ever experiencing, even experiencing him face to face, imagine what it's going to be like when we are literally in his presence. When we are literally there with him, where he is beside us, where we can have a a conversation where we audibly hear the answers. How beautiful will that be? How great will that be? This is something to really, really look forward to. He goes on, verse 38, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. And he's saying here, we'll go on in verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the first thing we see there is he's saying, hey, yeah, it's easy to wait up on the master to come home at lunchtime, Right? Early afternoon, you might get a little drowsy with a nap time, but you still can hang in there. But when it gets to that second and third watch of the night, when it starts getting late, that's when it gets difficult. That's when it gets hard. And he's saying, blessed are the servants who are faithful, who are doing what what I've encouraged them to do, who are ready, who are waiting expectantly, who are ready for me to come, even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult, even when things aren't easy. And that's the Christian life. There are times where it's easy. There's times where it's in the morning, it's it's easy to stay awake, you just had a good nap. Man, you're ready to go, right? You're up here singing, I saw the light and the band's jamming, you know. I saw Marjorie, she was about she was like dancing on the inside over there, right? Like I I, I could tell. She was she was going for it. And there's times where it's easy. And then there's times where it's hard. There's times where things don't go your way. There's times where it's especially difficult. And so that's when we especially need to be ready and wait expectantly for him. That's when we especially need to look for his return. 
um, Derek reminds us frequently about the persecuted church in the world and those who endure physical hardship um, because of fallen Christ, threats to their life and that kind of thing. Um, Scripture talks about special blessings for those who have given their life for Christ. Um, about uh, In Revelation, we can see about the, the martyrs having special honor and special um, recognition given them by Christ for, for the great thing that they've done with their life. And that's not to say, hey, man, we all want to go die, right? Like, sign me up. I want to I go martyr uh, myself. Um, no, that's not what we're saying. But we need to, to have their kind of mindset about our lives. We think a lot of times that, oh, we've got it all set here and everything is so, it's, it's easy to be a Christian here. In some ways, that's true. Um, some ways, maybe it's too easy. Some ways it's not. Um, I was just—I just found out this week. Um, many of you probably know about a program uh, that the Canadian government has had um, for uh, summer internships. Um, I can't remember the exact name of it, but there's these summer internships where the government would provide the funds to businesses and organizations to hire young people um, to work for the summer and get experience, and then also help out. Uh, the organization, community, all that through um, this program. Uh, I know several churches and ministries that have taken advantage of this program, um, which for me, coming from the States, was kind of a foreign concept that uh, the government would give the church money to do something with um, because Americans are so um, caught up on their separation of church and state that, like, that would be just crazy if anybody suggested that. Um, so it was a little foreign to me when I first heard about it, but I, I saw the good that was happening. This Some of our partner churches have used this program. Well, um, the government has just changed some of the rules on it as of January 1st uh, to where now to get that money in your application process, uh, you have to sign off that you agree with the government on the issues of abortion and on sexuality and, uh, and gay marriage and all of that. Um, and so they're saying, if you do not sign off that you agree with us on these things, you cannot get this money. Their reason for doing this was that there was a pro-life group that that was their whole purpose, was support the life of the unborn um, that was using this program. And so in trying to cut them out, um, they have cut out a lot of others. Um, and so I uh, actually was in a pastor's meeting this week where uh, Dan uh, Alba came and was explaining this to us and wanted our feedback um, so he could take it back to Ottawa. And so um, we personally here at Potter's House, since I've been here at least, have not used the program. Um, so I didn't have a lot to weigh in on it, but several other guys were really weighing in. And, um, and it's, it's just an area where you can see where the government is saying, hey, if you don't agree with us in beliefs, then we're not that pluralistic of a society. We're not that open of a society. And I'm not saying that to say doom is gloom, woe is us, whatever. Like, I think the government should be able to do with their money what they want to do with their money. Um, but I just give you that as an illustration where now these churches are having to decide, do we stand with what we see in Scripture or do we check off this checkbox on a computer so that we get the money to do the stuff we want to do? And sometimes applying this is that simple. 
that when it can be difficult, because you're like, we want to do all of this good. Like, there was a lot of good stuff that churches were doing in their communities using this program. Um, He was telling us about some, like, out in more remote areas where they're putting on whole summer programs for kids in the community um, and it's the, the church is the organization doing it, but it's, they're using this funds to do it. It was a great thing um, to offer to their community. And now that's going to be cut out uh, because the churches are saying, no, we can't, we can't say we agree with this statement. Um, we are people of belief. We believe in what the Bible says here. And so we want to stand on that. Um, and so sometimes the being difficult to follow Christ and to be ready and to wait expectantly is as simple as something like that being challenged in our lives or in our church's life. Verse 39 and 40, I'll read again. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. How many of you know that somebody's going to come rob you or just going to say, okay, well, I'm going to leave then? No, if you know when they're coming, what are you going to do? You know, call the police, you know, borrow your neighbor's big dog, you know, something, right, where, where you're going to uh, protect your house. And he's saying, hey, if a master had known, like, if you know when your house can get broken into, you're going to make sure it doesn't happen. And he's, he's using that as an illustration to say, when I come back, you don't know when it's going to happen. You must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Pretty much um, since Jesus' time, people have been trying to predict when he's coming back. They try to say, well, it's going to be this day. This happened, there was a big surge in all of this right after World War II when the nation of Israel was reinstated. Right? So some of you guys saw all of this, and there was best-selling books all written about the exact day and time when Jesus is going to return and we're reading the signs as we see them in scripture and as we see them in the culture and and we know exactly when this is going to happen and I want to tell you the moment that someone says this is exactly when Jesus is going to come back guarantees that that is not when Jesus is going to come back because scripture tells us that no one knows the time or or the day that only God the Father knows that and so whenever a man stands up or a woman stands up and says, hey, I know when this is going to happen, you can say, all right, check that one off. It's not then. Uh, because no one knows when it's going to happen. But what we're, ex- what we're encouraged to do is to wait expectantly like it could happen now. You see what we, we read in Scripture about Jesus' second coming? A lot of people want to take it to make a road map and a timeline of these are all the things that got to have to fall in place, and then Jesus is going to come. This is exactly how it's going to happen. And I don't, as I read Scripture and as I read these passages, I don't see that really being the purpose of these passages. I see the purpose of these passages to inform us on how we live our lives here and now. How we prepare ourselves for that coming. A lot of those passages are written for great encouragement to persecuted and suffering Christians who are going through horrible things in their lives because they have professed faith in Jesus Christ. And those passages are there to encourage them and to say, hey, a better day is coming. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to make it all right. He's going to set it all in place. He's going to make it all good. 
And yes, do they sit there and say, well, when is that going to be? We want that to happen now. Yes, do we say that? I hope so. For the follower of Christ, do you live in such a way that you want Jesus to come back? Or do you love this life more and you would rather he just wait a little while? I don't know. That's a challenge for us. Because I, I think when we live the other way, when we're not living expectantly of him coming back, I think it, it's a sign of us not really understanding how good he is and how good it's going to be with him and the great blessings that he has to bestow. The fact that we get to leave behind these bodies that are frail, that have torn ACLs, that have messed up things where things lock up. We get to leave these things behind. And we get to experience the goodness of Him and who He is and what He's done. And we should live in such a way that we expect that to happen at any minute. How would that change how we live? How would that change how we interact with our community? How would that change how we interact with others? How would that change how we prioritize our time on spending time with him? I think it would change some things. And so, like I said to start, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They're hearing all this. They're like, okay, master coming back, check, be ready, check, happen any minute, check. Like, okay, so like you're going to walk away for a minute, come back? Like, is that what you're talking about, Jesus? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you saying here? Um, and Peter, being the spokesperson uh, for the disciples, we, I think we can all thank God for Peter because he's the one that, you know, every teacher says there are no stupid questions until they have that one student and then they change that saying because they don't want to say that anymore. Uh, well, Peter is that guy, right? He will ask the question that's on everybody's mind. They're like, what, what, what's going on? And Peter's like, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just throw it out there. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? So he's kind of easing in. He's like, I don't really understand. Uh, but uh, here, I'll ask it this way. Um, who is this apply to? Who does this count for? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find in, doing, in so doing when he comes. He's, he's going back to what we talked about last week, the last part of the, the passage we just covered, with the fact that God has entrusted things to us and we're supposed to deal wisely with those things and, and to use them and be good stewards of the things he's given us. And he's, he's going back to that stewardship issue here, and he's saying, blessed is the faithful and wise manager, or the servant whom the master sets over his household, the, the one who Jesus is giving a job to. He's given an assignment to. He's, given, he's entrusted something to this person, and when, they, when he comes back, that person is doing with it what God wanted him to do. Blessed is that person. 
I pray that we all will be found in that group, that we will be found to be faithful and true to what he has given to us by his grace, by his mercy. Not of our own doing. It's not about works. It's not about earning favor with God, but it's about what he has done for us and then how we respond to that in in response. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to him, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants. So the master put him in charge of taking care of them. Now instead he is beating them and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come home on a day when he does not expect and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. You see, when Jesus comes back, It's not just blessings for everyone. There's also punishment. For those who have done wrong. For those who haven't lived according to the way that he wants them to. Now some people will raise theological questions on this part of this passage. It's like, well, this was a servant, and now he's being cut up and thrown out with the unfaithful. Um, Does that mean that as Christians, uh, we can lose our salvation? Does that mean that if we are not... Uh, doing what God wants us to, then he's going to cut us up and throw us out. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Um, To which I say, um, it it is troublesome to build theological principles simply off of Jesus's parables. He's telling them to make a point. Typically, it's one main point. Um, Not all of the possible implications you can make out of any of the, the things there. And so specifically on issues like this, where we see other scriptures that speak plainly and clearly on the fact that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is, there is nothing held against those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. Jesus tells us that we are, uh, when we place our faith in Christ, that we are put in the Father's hand and that no one can remove us that we are secure there, that we are placed in the place of security by our Heavenly Father who will hold on to us for eternity. Um, in Philippians, Paul says, uh, I'm certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And so there's countless scriptures that tell us that, yes, there is security for the believer. For the person who has genuinely placed their faith in Jesus Christ, there is security, there is safety there. There, there is no threat of losing what you have in Jesus. But what Scripture also tells us is, is how we can know that we have that security, how we can know that we have that safety in Jesus is by what we see in our life. Do we see the grace of God coming out in us? Are we doing the good works that are entrusted to us? What we see in this story of this hypothetical servant is nothing that is in keeping with genuine salvation. He's abusing. He's wasting. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Nothing that is in keeping with Scripture about what it tells us, tells for those of us who have received Christ, who have been born again. And so my answer to, does this passage say that we can lose our salvation, is no. It just shows that this servant never experienced genuine saving faith. And that he got what was coming to him. He got his due. Which we can say, well, yeah, people like that, they should get their due. But when we're honest, that's all of us. 
We all deserve God's wrath. But the good thing is, is that Jesus took it for us on the cross. And we get his grace and we get his goodness and we get to live in light of that. I'll go on. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will not receive a, uh, will receive a severe beating. This is another one. Didn't go quite as bad. He just wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, but he wasn't treating people as badly. And so there is this level of punishment here. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating or receive a light beating, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And Jesus is saying, if you have been given much, then there is much that's expected of you. If you have experienced the freedom of being set free by Jesus Christ, paying the punishment for your sin on the cross, there is no greater gift that you can receive. And by receiving that, much is expected of you. What are you doing with that truth? What are you doing with that reality in your life? I don't say all of this just to heap burden or guilt on you. That's not the intent. The intent is for us to look at what Jesus says and for us to look at our lives. Say, okay, based on what Jesus is saying here, what do I need to do with my life? What do I need to change? How can I better serve him? How can I better use what he has entrusted to me? The freedom that is found in Christ. How can I better use my freedom to bring him glory? What can I do to better prepare for the day when he will return? Because that day could be today. That minute could be this minute. How can I prepare for that better? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, pray that uh, our message today will inform our hearts based on your Holy Spirit, based on the goodness that's found in you. Lord, for anyone here who hasn't experienced the grace of Christ and the freedom found in him, Lord, I pray that you will bring them to that realization. I pray that you'll bring them to that faith, that you'll make them new that you'll make them born again, that they can experience the freedom that's found in you. Lord, for those of us who have experienced it, Lord, challenge us on what are we doing with it. Show us your will. Show us how you want us to use what you've entrusted to us. Because it's such a blessing. And we praise you for that. We thank you for all that you do for us. So we know that it's only possible by the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us live inside of that grace. Help us live inside of that freedom. Thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name, amen.